our world. Nobody truly knows where it came from or how it got here. Of course, we all have our own opinion of what or how it happened. Everything from a bunch of chemicals that happened upon each other and blasted us into a planet perfect for us all to live on, to it being the work of perfection of our creator. Nobody knows exactly when this happened or how old the world actually is. Some say millions of years, while others argue that it's only a few thousand. The inhabitants of this old world, through the many years of their existence, have lived through and witnessed some pretty unbelievable historical atrocities. They have lived through everything from serial killers to weird creatures that show up and destroy their lives. The worst creature of them all, though, just might be man himself. I, being born and raised in the Appalachian Mountains, know that nothing is beyond the pale of belief, no matter how fantastic it sounds. The history that lies in these mountains is rich and has a long legacy of unending tales and adventures. This old world outside of these mountains is seen its share of it as well. Come with me as I take you on a fantastic journey around the world where we seek out things that are not always as they seem, and history is not always as what we've been told. I guarantee it won't be anything like you expected. Hello, I'm Larry Bentley, and this is World of Murder, Mystery, and Legend. doing my good friends and thanks for stopping by again today sometimes i read history and find something that just sticks out in my mind maybe somebody just got murdered and the murder was never solved i'll read and research the case and for some reason i i'm sure that i'm not the only one that does that of course but i think that uh, i may see something there that somebody else may have missed as i look at it whatever that thing is I'll develop my own thoughts and what actually happened but then the more I think on it the more I think about how wrong I was to think that to start with and uh, because now I think there's something else happened let me tell you as one who has looked into this situation and many times since I can remember you can lose days looking at those things and still not know a bit more than you did when you started but at least you'll have a bit more understanding of the situation at hand. So come on in, make yourself at home, and let me tell you about such a case as we jump the pond again and go uh, talk about our cousins over in the British Isles. The picturesque village of Peasant Hall was located in Suffolk, England and was a typical place of its kind in the early 1900s. Everybody knew everybody else in the small community. They also knew everybody else's business. Any secrets and affairs were quickly part of the local gossip amongst the birth of better news. Now, sounds familiar, doesn't it, to us living in the mountains? But in the winter months of 1901 and early spring of 1902, 22-year-old servant girl Rose Harson had often found herself a topic of conversation. Now, servant girls back in those days were hired on to do various tasks around one's house, much like we in this country still call a maid or a personal assistant. If you combine those two jobs, you'll have a pretty good idea what Rosie's job was. 
Rose lived in the servants' quarters at <clears throat> Providence House. I guess because you never know when you might wake up in the middle of the night and need a glass of water or something and that she could get for you. But Rose wasn't short of male admirers either. In fact, she had often encouraged many of them to drop by and see her. She would openly request they send her love letters, many of which were very descriptive and left little to the imagination. You know, kind of like sexting, I guess, in the paper or whatever it was back then. But one particular tale hit the gossip lines relating to Rose. What was she had been involved in an affair with a married man in the autumn of 1901. According to the gossip scene, she uh, had been caught in a very compromising position with a choir master named William Gardner by a couple of parishioners. Now, I don't know what it is that makes folks go into churches and act up, but this ain't the first time I've ever seen it, and if it actually happened. But William, who was much older than Rose, had lived not far from Providence House in a cottage with his wife and six children. And he was up and warned by about his conduct by the parish church, despite Williams sitting there with the stone-cold face denial and denying the whole thing to the hill. But on May 31, 1902, Rose received a letter which read, I will try to see you tonight at 12 o'clock in your place if you put a light near your window at 10 o'clock for about 10 minutes, then take it out again. Don't have a light in your room at 12 and I will come by and see you. The following morning, William Harson paid a visit to Providence House to see his daughter following the previous night's thunderstorm. When entering the property through the back door, he was met with a horrifying sight. Laying at the bottom of the servant's staircase in just her nightdress and socks surrounded by a pool of her own blood and a smashed oil lamp was his daughter Rose, curled up in the fetal position. Rose had been viciously attacked. The young woman had suffered numerous slash wounds across both arms, front, back, chest, neck, and head, but especially the neck. There were also clear signs that her attacker had tried to set her on fire because, well, these killers just can't stop with a simple murder. They have to run it through the wall. A scorched scrap of paper was found near the body along with the smashed oil lamp and some paraffin. The victim herself was found to have several burns on her arms and nightdress. A search of Providence House soon uncovered a letter Rose had received the day before. Although police couldn't prove the rendezvous mentioned in the letter took place, it did give the biggest lead at the, so the hunt would begin for the letter writer and who you think that was. Police soon honed in on their prime suspect, choir Mr. master William Gardner. They had quickly learned that the tales of the affair and, and had been involving with Rose, and upon examining the handwriting of the letter with Mr. Gardner's own writings, they believed it matched. They must have thought anyway, to deny that, Mr. Gardner. But additional evidence was pointed toward William Gardner being behind the crime and would become known as the Pizen Hall murder. The paraffin found near the body was in a, was in a bottle, which had previously been used for medicine. 
This uh, same med- medicine had recently been prescribed to William Gardner's children. So Mr. Gardner obviously took the kid's paragoric and used it to kill a woman. The piece of paper found charred near Rose's body marked yet another link to Choir Master Gardner. It was determined that it came from a copy of a local newspaper, which nobody within the residence of Providence House was subscribed to. But guess who was? That's right, the good Choir Master Gardner. Witnesses started crawling out of the woodwork, giving credence to William Gardner being the author of the letter. A neighbor alleged that they had seen the good choir master of the church at around 10 p.m. that evening standing outside his house gazing at Providence House where he light from the upstairs window which was switched on for a brief time before being turned back off, which was just as the writer of the letter to Rose Harzen had requested she do if she wanted to meet. I guess the choir master mine was supposedly so lizard-brained up at the thought of being with Rose that he believed that he could was the only one anyway that was supposed to be able to see the light. I don't know. A further witness additionally declared that on the day Rose Harzen was found murdered, a bonfire was lit in the yard of the Gardner residence, leading them to think that, uh, well, they may have destroyed his blood evidence or something. The final piece of evidence was William Gardner's own knife. He owned and carried a small pocket knife, and when police inspected it, they discovered that what appeared to be blood within the hinges. It certainly looked like Choir Master Gardner had a deviant stamped right in his forehead, don't it? Of course, the police were looking for a motive that, as to why the good Choir Master Gardner would suddenly murder his lover, Rose, and they soon found one. Upon completion of her autopsy, it was discovered that Rose was with child. That pretty much licked and sealed the envelope for him as far as the police were concerned. Uh, they put her pregnancy into around six months, which fit in with the timing of the story that Rose and Mr. Gardner were interrupted by parishioners back at the church while they was uh, in a compromising position. I know we all think where this is headed, but stick around, folks. You're listening to the world of murder, mystery, and legend. Well, on behalf of Appalachian Murder, Mystery, and Legend, I'm Larry Bentley, and I will be right back. Investigators now had a working theory. They firmly believed that on the night of May 31st, or possibly the early hours of June 1st, William Gardner paid a visit to Rose Harson. It was there that she either informed William for the first time that she was pregnant or told him that she was keeping the child before telling the good choir master that she expected financial support. Wrong thing to say to a maniac who is now backed into a corner, I guess. The good choir master saw this, his whole world collapsing before his eyes, and so in a fit of rage, he pounced on and killed poor Rose. When confronted with the theory the police had come up with, William Gardner was having none of that, despite his protest that he had neither composed the letter to Rose Harson or received a, or that she'd received the day before or even been the father of her unborn child. He just stood there denied every bit of it, and that's where they were from that. But after smiling and nodding as they sat and let him talk, the police charged him with a murder anyway, dragged him downtown in shackles. The trial of the fine upstanding church choir master would begin on November 7th and last three days. 
it began with him insisting that he was innocent and played no role in the murder of Rose Harson. He informed the jury that he had spent the whole evening at home and had time of Rose's death, he was out cold asleep in bed. The statement was vehemently supported by his wife, Georgina. Georgina Gardner was explained away or explained away the bottle located near Rose Harson's body at the scene of the murder being from Gardner residence. She claimed that after her children were feeling better, after a short illness, she handed the leftover medicine to Rose as she had been feeling under the weather. Rose herself must have used the empty bottle for paraffin at a later date, according to Georgina, that was. Georgina then gave the jury reasons as to why blood was found in her husband's knife and the bonfire was lit the day Rose's body was discovered. Both were perfectly innocent and unconnected occurrences, according to Georgina Gardner. She stated that blood was from a rabbit that William had caught and killed with the knife. The bonfire, Georgina said, was simply lit for the purpose of boiling a pot of water to cook the rabbit in. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd like to see somebody nimble enough to catch a rabbit. Maybe he snared or trapped it, I don't know, but a neighbor was also keen to defend the good William Gardner, Amelia Pepper, stated under oath that she had been awake all night long. She had, was adamant that she would have seen or heard somebody leaving the Gardner residence that night, which, according to her, nobody did. She sounds like the one kind of one that local Bertha better than used that, you know, don't she that sees or hears a lot of things. Right? We thank God for people like that sometimes, don't we? Or maybe Rose wasn't the only one that Mr. Gardner had took a shine to, huh? It was also a key point of the defense to show Rose Harson in an unflattering light. They revealed numerous copies of the raunchy love letters, drawings, and poems Rose had sent. I wonder how the drawings was. Hmm. They were all for the purpose of calling her character into question. I guess the best people could do as far as sexting was to draw a picture of themselves or something. I don't know. But uh, their argument was basically that anybody could have been the father of her unborn child, but it sure as heck wasn't William Gardner, and therefore he lacked motive. Placing the murderer in the hands of one Rose Harson's other lovers. However wasn't the defense's team's only offering of an explanation. Uh, could Rose Harson's death have been a result of just a simple tragic accident? The defense offered up such a proposal. Now, William Gardner's lawyer contemplated the possibility to the jury that Rose had tripped while rushing down the stairs in the early hours to meet her unknown lover. In the act of falling, he theorized the lamp broke and Rose was cut viciously by the broken shards while the paraffin bottle she was carrying led to her being scorched. It's unlikely as that might have been. It is, it's his job of sowing the seeds of doubt and uh, at least one juror's mind anyway. On returning with their verdict, the jury failed to come to a unanimous decision, although just one juror, a man named Evan Edwards, found insufficient evidence to find William Gardner guilty. It was enough in 1902 to secure a retrial instead of a guilty verdict. Yes, you better believe there was a second trial. 
Just two months later, on January 20th, 1903, Mr. Gardner faced a jury for the second time, again accused of, accused of murdering Rose Harson. In the weeks separating the trials, little in the way of new evidence or information had been uncovered, with much of the trial being a rerun of the first. But one thing had changed, the mood of the jury. In a complete swing from the original verdict, the jury voted 11 to 1 once more, and only this time in favor of William Gardner's acquittal. So the requirement of a unanimous verdict in Britain at the time meant William Gardner wasn't exonerated of committing the murder of Rose Harsett, but he was now a free man. So now we're left with the question, who killed Rose? The Pizen Hall murder faded into the archives of unsolved cases. Rose Harson's killer <clears throat> never faced the justice they deserved. And did William Gardner get away with murder? The general consensus amongst crime historians or historians and researchers is that, well, he did, but other theories as to the killer's identity have been proposed as well. Most notably amongst the other possible suspects is the prime suspect's wife, Georgina Gardner. Was it possible that she found out about an affair with her husband or wrote the letter and then whacked Rose in a jealous rage? Or maybe she saw the letter before it was delivered, confronted her husband, and then showed up in his place and did the deed. It certainly can't be totally ruled out completely, but likewise, there's a little in the way of evidence to back up any of it. Another name often brought up is that of a young neighbor called Frederick James Davis. At the trial, Mr. Davis admitted to lusting after Rose and being the author of the number of raunchy poems and letters that he had sent to her at her request, but no evidence or realistic motive has ever been revealed to implicate Mr. Frederick with any real merit. Back in the, before the advent of the serial killer, who just plain kills to get off on it, a motive was an important part of proving the case. After the Pizen Hall murder, the Gardner family up and left the small tranquil village with their tails between their legs and moved to London. They would never be newsworthy again until William Gardner died in 1941, possibly taking his dark secret to the grave with him. The Pizen Hall murder is one of those historic unsolved cases that doesn't necessarily get the same coverage as other crimes of its era, but it is no less fascinating to me anyway. I must say that in this case, I think that the murderer was Choir Master Gardner, but we'll just leave it at all up to you. I'd be interested to hear what you say on our Facebook group, Appalachian Murder Mystery and Legend podcast, and we, yeah, before we talk about everything Appalachian or whatever else you'd like to talk about. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed our story today, and I'll be back real soon with another Appalachian Murder Mystery or Legend, and I will see you then. <laughs>